Welcome. In Parshas Hazinu, we read the following rebuke that was given from by Moshe Rabbeinu to the Jewish nation. Sur Yolod Chateshi. The Tzur, the rock, meaning Hashem, our source of strength. Yoladcha, who gave birth to you, meaning who made you into a nation, Teshi. And I'm going to pause and not translate this word Teshi yet, because that is exactly uh, a very big part of what we are going to discuss. And there are different ways of translating it. Let's continue. Batishkach el mechaylaleka. And you will forget, or you did forget, God, who was mecholel, who also, who formed you into a nation. Obviously, this word teshi needs to be interpreted and translated, and also the word mecholel, mecholeleka, has to be, has to be translated. Let's see what Rashi says. Teshi, says Rashi, tishkach, you will forget. So tzur yeladcha teshi, you forgot, or you will forget, the rock that gave birth to you, meaning Hashem, that formed you as a nation. Okay, that's his first interpretation. Then he continues. For Rabbi Senu Darshil, our rabbis expounded, when a Kodesh Baruch Hu will come to bestow upon you goodness, you cause anger in front of Hashem. You act inappropriately in such a way that causes a Kodesh Baruch Hu to be, quote-unquote, angry. And you weaken his powers to bestow goodness upon him. This means that according to Rashi's first explanation, the word teshi somehow means tishkach. We'll talk about that soon, Be'ezus Hashem. According to his second interpretation, the word teshi is related to a word that we find in the Gemara. There's a famous uh, saying in the, in, the, in the Gemara that Torah mateshes koichai shal The Gemara says that when a person first begins to learn Torah intensively, so it tends to weaken the person's physical strength. Later, as he becomes more used to it, it actually helps him be strong. But the original, the, the, the first effect that, uh, that, that uh, intensive Torah study has as a person is it tends to weaken his physical strength. Matisha, mateshes, koichai shal So here also Rashi is understanding that this word teshi means that sur Hashem, who gave birth to you, Hashem, who made you into a nation, Teshi, you make him weak. When Hashem wants to do something good for you, you somehow make him weak and then he can't do it. Okay, now let's continue. El Mechololeka, you forget God who is Mecholel you, says Rashi, he brings you forth from the womb. In other words, Mecholel also means he gives birth to you. He forms you. Lashain, and this is like an expression that we find in Tehillim, Yechaleel Ayalois, that Hashem causes the female rams to give birth. Or Chil Kayalido, another Pasik, uh, uh, pains like that of a woman giving birth. Chil, birth pangs. Okay. I would like to raise four questions on these two Rashi comments. 
Question number one. Is that Rashi says Teshi means Tishkach, but he does not give us any source or any reason why we should think that. Um, we don't just say Ruach HaKadosh when we learn Rashi. Yeah, yes, it's true. Rashi probably had some form of divine inspiration when he wrote his commentary. And it is true that the majority of his comments are based on our on the Chachamim of the Midrash and the Talmud, who certainly had a certain certain sort of Ruach HaKadosh, a certain sort of divine inspiration. But the derech, the way of all of the super commentaries on Rashi, is not simply to say, whatever Rashi says, Ruach HaKadosh, just don't, don't question it. No, that is not how they approach the study of Rashi. They, uh, for everything that Rashi says, they want to know what's the source in the Pesach. And Rashi himself, usually, when he explains a word, when he interprets a word, when he translates a word, he usually uh, tells us his method. For example, in the next comment, where it says, Kel Rashi tells us how he knows that that means, How does he know that that means he brings you forth from the womb? Because we have other psukim in Tanakh that use the same root of ches, Lamed Lamed or Ches Lamed, and there they clearly mean they have the idea of giving birth to something, giving birth to a child. So Rashi usually tells us how he knew his interpretation of words. Other times Rashi will say Ketaguma, that the meaning of a word is, should be understood according to how the, the Aramaic translation of Unculus translates it. At least he it gives us a source. He gives us an authority. He translates it in a certain way. Um, sometimes Rashi will tell us in a few places, Rashi says that a word in the Torah can be understood if you have a knowledge of Arabic. Occasionally, he relates words in the Torah to Arabic cognates. And that's how he tells us how he knows what a word meant. But simply to take a word like Teshi, which seems so, so odd, so unknown, and just to say it means tishkach, it means forget, with no, no source attached. So we have to ask, number one, what was his source? And number two, whatever the source may have been, why doesn't he reveal it to us? So those, that's, those are questions number one and number two. Question number three is that according to this, this interpretation, this one-word interpretation that teshi means tishkach, what is the difference between the first half of the Pasuk and the second? The first half of the Pasuk is saying that the rock, Hashem, who, who gave birth to you, Teshi, you forget. And then it says, Batishka, el You forget the God who, give, who gave, gave birth to you. So it seems to be saying exactly the same thing twice, which is not usually how we understand Pesukim. Certainly not Rashi. Uh, does not uh, just allow psukim to just repeat themselves without anything being added in the second half of the puzzle. So that's question number three. Question number four is on Rashi's second interpretation, on his interpretation from the Rabbi Seinu Darshu, how our rabbis interpreted this in the Midrash. What does this mean? That when Hashem wants to do uh, bestow upon us some goodness, that we are matishim that we can weaken his strength. What do you mean we can weaken 
Hashem's strength. How can we do that? that that's, that's axiomatic, that a Kodesh Baruch is all-powerful, and that, that if you can't lessen that power, if uh, axioms are not your cup of tea, I have a Pasuk in Iyot, Tupsuk in Iyot, which I think once upon a time I discussed. Tupsukim say in Iyot, if you will sin, what will you affect in him, in HaKadosh Baruch If you sin, what difference will it make to him? And even if your sins are many, what will you do to him? Meaning what you do has no effect on HaKadosh Baruch you're not You're not hurting him. And it goes the other way around. If you have been righteous, what are you giving to him? You're not, Hashem doesn't need your righteousness. Or what from your hand is he going to take when you are righteous? You're not giving him a gift. You may feel like you're giving him a gift, but really, you're not really affecting in his essence. You can't. He is far, far above that. And far beyond that. So what does it mean here? What does Rashi mean? It's quoting a Midrash, but what does it mean that we are matishim koichai that sometimes we weaken Hashem's power from bestowing goodness upon us. I'm going to start with this last question first, because although it's a, a very a difficult philosophical question, at least there are commentators that discuss it. Regarding the other three questions, there's little to nothing written about it, so I will have to do the best that I can. But this question at least is addressed mentioned uh, a couple of years ago already uh, that the Gurarya discusses this Rashi, and everyone is uh, welcome to open up the Sefer Gurarya and see how he explains this Rashi. I saw this year another explanation, which is not really uh, in any way contradictory, but it, it puts a little bit of a different, gives a little bit of a different taste to it. This is in the Sefer called um, Imre Shefer. Imre Shefer was written uh, approximately 400 years ago, I believe. I could look it up, but not for now. Imre Shefer is a super commentary on Rashi. Um, it is, on the one hand, very thorough in the technical aspects in, in discussing what is Rashi's source for everything that he says. It is also um, probably devotes more time than many of the other commentaries to some of the thought behind Rashi, some of the philosophy behind it. And... Um, and that makes it very valuable. He also uh, engages in something. He also in, engages in something that uh, almost none of the other commentaries engage in, and that is that he often will explain that uh, Rashi derived a certain idea from a gematria, from a remez. Uh, I don't 100% see eye to eye with him on that idea, but that's besides the point. The Imre Shefer here quotes someone named Rabbi Shemtaib. I have no idea who Rabbi Shemtaib was. I, I don't think it's the Baal Shemtaib that we talk about. I think he lived later. But he, he says as follows. I'll read a few words. He says, Ain Suffolk, there is no doubt. The things on high, the things that are going on that a Baruch Hu does in the higher realms of, of existence. They act upon those things that are in the lower worlds, meaning what Hashem does acts upon 
things that are in this world. Only when there is a hachana, when there is a preparation, when there certain qualifications are met, certain prerequisites are met in these lower things. Yes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, up in Shemayim, in the heavens, in the ethereal uh, realms, he does certain things which affect us down here, but only when we down here have created the proper circumstances for them to have an effect. He says, but when those preparations and when those uh, qualifications and prerequisites are not met, then what a Kaddish Baruch who does on high does not act upon and does not have any effect upon what goes on down here. And he gives several examples. He says, for example, Kaddish Baruch who makes things grow. He makes the grass grow, he makes the trees grow, makes the fruits grow and the vegetables and everything. But there has to be a certain hachana. Human beings have to do something in order for that to work to their advantage. If a person does harisha uzriya, he plows the field and he plants the field, so then a Kodesh Baruch Hu will bring the proper amount of rain and the proper amount of sunlight and the proper temperature, and the person will end up with some very valuable and useful products. If the person does not do those things, Kodesh Baruch Hu does, doesn't just make everything come out of the ground the way you would like it without any input from you. So if you do the hachana, if you meet the prerequisites, a Kodesh Baruch Hu can do for you what you want. If you don't do the, the if you don't do the, if you don't meet the prerequisites, then a Kodesh Baruch Hu, he doesn't, he doesn't make the, the, the trees grow. He doesn't make the apples on the tree ripen. He doesn't make the wheat grow. It's as if he, he can't, because Kodesh Baruch Hu set it up in such a way that you have to do your part. Similarly, Kodesh Baruch Hu makes children. But first there has to be a man and a woman, and they can't just sit on two opposite sides of the room and stare at each other. They must come together in a certain way. And then Kodesh Baruch Hu creates a birth. We do not believe in immaculate conception. There has to be a man and a woman, and they must, they must join. And he says, this even applies to Nevoah, to, to the power of prophecy. We know that our Chazal tell us that uh, not all prophets are created equal. Rashi Rabbeinu was the greatest of all prophets, and no prophet ever did or ever will come to his level. And amongst the other prophets, there are some who were greater and some who were lesser. The Gemara tells us, for example, that uh, Ishayahu Anavi, Ishaya was a greater prophet than Yecheskel, perhaps of many others also. But specifically, the Gemara talks about um, Ishaya and Yecheskel. Now, what Kaddish Baruch Hu can, can give Nevoah to anyone he likes, and he could give as much as he likes, and he could give as clear a Nevoah as he likes, and as comprehensive a Nevoah as he likes. So why is it that Moshe Rabbeinu received so much and so clearly, and other Nevi'im received much less, and what they received was fuzzier, so to speak? The answer is, it's the Hachana. It's the preparation that each Navi achieved. 
Moshe Rabbeinu had a tremendous, unbelievable level of dveikus to Hakadosh Baruch of righteousness, of, of purity, of character, of perfection of character. So he merited to the clearest and to the greatest of all prophecies. Someone uh, less, like Ishayahu Anavi. I mean, we would probably be blinded by the light coming from either one of them. But but someone that Chazal tell us was was less, like Ishayahu Anavi, means his dveikus was was not on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. His perhaps his his wisdom and perhaps his uh, his um, his righteousness. I mean, we're not saying he's a bad person, but that level that Moshe Rabbeinu reached. Ishaya Hanavi did not reach. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu could not give him the same level of Nebuah that he gave to Moshe Rabbeinu. What do you mean he could not? Yeah, technically, HaKadosh Baruch Hu can do what he wants to do. But the rules are, he, he could not. It's the rules that HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself made. But the rule is, if you don't prepare yourself to level X, then you're not going to get level X of Nebuah. And the same goes for all kinds of things that that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does in this world. There has to be a corresponding hachana, this, this Sefer refers to it as. And therefore, that's what Rashi is saying here, that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes to bestow goodness upon us, but we, uh, we are machis in lefana, we don't act appropriately in front of him, so then HaKadosh Baruch Hu can't give us that good. The rules have been set up by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if you don't have the proper hachana, which in this case just means appropriate behavior, behavior according to the, the, the laws of the Torah, then 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 a kodesh baruch who can't can't give you what you might like to have. You can't because that's how he has set up the rules of the game, so to speak. Okay, that's our question number four. Let's go back to question number one and two. Rashi tells us that the word teshi means tishkat, does not give us any source. So we have to wonder, A, what is his source? And B, why doesn't he tell it to us? Well, the answer would seem to be that we have to go back to Parshas Mayishlach. As I've said many times, it's really, uh, I think it's really self-explanatory. But one of the major methods that one can use to understand the difficult Rashi is not right away to run to the to the to the Rambam or the uh, or the, the Svasemis or some later Sefer or the first first place to look is other comments of Rashi. I mean, who better to to provide extra information about something that Rashi says than Rashi himself? Well, we have a pasuk in Parshas Vayishlach. In Parshas Vayishlach, Yaakov Avinu has a wrestling match with an angel. Our Chazal tell us that angel was the he was the guardian angel of Esav. We're not going into what exactly that means right now. But Yaakov Avinu had a wrestling match. Yaakov Avinu uh, won the battle, but he was injured in the battle. His Yid Hanasha, his sciatic nerve, was displaced from its normal position. And the Pasuk says, Al-Kain lo yechlu Yisrael es Gid Hanasha. Therefore, B'nai Yisrael may not eat from the Gid Hanosha, they may not eat the, the sciatic nerve. Asher al-Kafa Yarech, this Gid, this uh, sinew or nerve that is on the Kafa Yarech, that is on a part of the thigh that is called the Kaf, Ad Hayyemazeh, 
until this day, meaning forever after, whatever day you're reading the Pesach, at whatever point in history you come about, you come around to reading this Pesach, it is also for us to eat the Gid Hanashi. This is why, for example, uh, here in America, uh, the, the whole entire hind rear portion of the animal is, is sold to the non-kosher meat industry because it would be too costly, and too tedious to cut away and remove the Gid Hanashin. You also have to remove some of the fat that's around it. it it's too time-consuming. Anyway, therefore, because of this incident that the Malach injured Yaakov in the Gid Hanashe, so therefore B'nai Yisrael are not allowed ever after to eat the Gid Hanashe. Ki naga v'chaf yerech Yaakov, because the, the angel against whom he fought, he touched the, the, uh, the kaf yerech, this circular part of the thigh of Yaakov, the Gid Hanashe, he touched him there on the Gid Hanashe. I mean, those who are more interested in the exact anatomy, you have to study Mesef Bechulin, Perak, Gid Hanasha, and other sections. That's not the issue for now. The issue here is, what is the meaning of this of these words, Gid Hanasha? What is the, the meaning and what is the source? Uh, what is the root of this term? Rashi here says, Rashi in Parshas Yishlach, Olama Nikrish Mai Gid Hanasha. Why is its name called? Gid Hanasha. Gid means a sinew or a, a nerve. But why is it called Gid Hanasha? Because it was Nasha from its place and it went up. We'll see in a moment what Rashi means by Nasha. This is a Lushan, this is an expression of jumping. The word Nasha that Rashi himself used, he said it means it jumped, meaning the Gid Hanasha was um, dislocated. It jumped out of its place because of the, the blow that the Malach gave to Yaakov. Bechain, and similarly, we have a Pasuk in Yerbiya. Nasha sa sam. It says their gavura, their strength, jumped away from them. Their strength left them. Bechain, and we have also later in Sefer Bracious, Yosef says, Kinashani Elohim es kol amali. Hashem has moved away from me. He has caused me to forget all of my toil and all of my trouble that I had back in my father's house. In this Pasuk, Yosef is already the, the viceroy in Egypt. He has reached a great stature in, in his great position. And um, he has a child whom he names Menashe. And he explains why he chose the name Menashe, because Nashani Elohim is called Amalik, because Hashem has caused me to forget. He has moved away from me. All of the trials and tribulations that I experienced back in my father's home with my brothers who weren't, weren't particularly nice to me. And now I, that's kind of forgotten and I've reached this great position in my career. So Rashi is telling us that the word Nasha means to jump away from, from when a thing jumps away or is forced to jump away from its normal position, dislocation. Before we continue, I'd like to point out there are two questions we could ask on this Rashi and Parshas for Yishlach, two technical questions. I don't have the answers for them at the moment, but I think we should mention them. Rashi begins by specifying and expressing what his question is. 
That is not typical of Rashi, as I've said many times. More typical of Rashi would have been that the Pasuk says, Gid and Rashi wants to understand what it means and where that expression comes from. So he would say, because it moved from its place and it, and it went up. It moved out of its place. Why does Rashi begin with a question? I'm not sure. A second parenthetical comment is, it's very interesting that according to Rashi, this piece of the anatomy, this sciatic nerve, its Hebrew name is based on the event that took place with Yaakov and the Malach. It's not that it was called Gidanasha, and that happens to be the, 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 the part of the anatomy at which the Malach managed to injure. No, it's called Gidanasha because that's what happened to this thing, this nameless thing, when the Malach injured it. It was Nasha. It's a Gid. There are many Gidim in the body. There are many nerves and sinews. Why is it called Gid Because the Malach moved it. The Malach caused it to, dis, to, to go out of its place, to be dislocated. That's also something to think about. But that's parenthetical. But we see here our answer to question number one. How did Rashi know that in our Pasuk and Hazino, that the word Teshi means forget? Well, because he knew it from the Pasuk, a Gid and there's also the Pasuk in from all of these psukim, he saw that nasha means to, to be pushed away, to jump away from its place. And by extension, metaphorically, it could mean to cause something to be forgotten or to forget something. That's the answer to question number one. Answer to question number two, why doesn't Rashi tell us in Parshish Hazinu that that is his source? Well, we can answer because he told us already. He expects us to, to remember what he said back in Parshish for Yishlach. He already explained what this word means. So he didn't have to repeat it. We are still stuck with the question that according to Rashi's definition, his first definition of the word Tishkach, what is the difference between the first half of our Pasuk and the second half of our Pasuk? What's the difference between Suryalad Chateshi the rock who gave birth to you, you forget, and Batishkach el and you forget the God who gave birth to you. Seems to be repetitious. So the second half seems to be superfluous. Now, this question seems to have bothered some of the great later commentaries, commentators. It seems to have bothered Rev Hirsch, as we will see in a minute, and it seems to have also bothered uh, the Nitzif. However, as we're going to see in a moment, none of what they say uh, is really relevant to Rashi, because Rav Hirsch gets around this problem by interpreting the word Teshi not the way Rashi does. He changes the meaning of the word Teshi. And the Nitzif gets around this problem, I think. It's not 100% explicit, but I think he gets around the problem by reinterpreting the word Mechelelecha, not exactly as Rashi explains it. So although they say very interesting points, it doesn't really work in Rashi. Let's spend a few minutes and look at these very interesting comments. We'll begin with Rav Hirsch. I, I, 
There's a small part here that I did not copy. Perhaps I should have. But Rav Hirsch says that the word teshi is like the word shai. A shai, shin yud, is a gift that one gives as a tribute to a king or to some, to some leader or to Hashem. Uh, he goes into the diptuk why he feels that teshi doesn't, that doesn't mean, it's not come from the word nashah the way Rashi says, rather he feels that it comes from the word shai. So teshi means you give a gift of tribute. He says here, we'll read a few words. This, of course, is a Hebrew translation of the original German. Um, as I've mentioned before, the reason why I don't use the English translation, although I do look at it, I find it very difficult to understand. I find it easier in Hebrew. Anyway, Hatsur the rock, Hashem, brings you, Klal Yisrael, the Jewish nation, into the world. Yaladcha, that is represented by the word Yaladcha. But in place of bringing to him a korban, a gift, expressing your submission to him, you bring that korban hachnoa, you bring that shai, you bring that tributary gift to others. It means, for example, that when a Kodesh Baruch Hu, at one of the first moments of our history, and one of the very early and very important moments of our history, Maimed Har Sinai, when we stood at Mount Sinai and we received the Torah, that is like a Yaladcha, that is a time that we were being born, what did we do? Instead of bringing a korban to Hashem, we brought a korban to the Egel Hazahok, to the golden calf. Sha'ata You abandon Hashem as if he is something that is lacking in benefit for you. In order to express in this way your submission and your subjugation to others. That's what it means, Teshi. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu created you and formed you as a nation, Teshi. You give your, your gift of submission, your gift of tribute to someone else. And now the end of the Pasuk says something different. You forget the God who, who gave birth to you. It's no longer the same thing, the, the, the Rasha and the Sefer, the beginning of the Pasuk and the end of the Pasuk. The beginning of the Pasuk is saying that you give your tributary gift to someone else. And then it says, and you forget the one who created you. And he points out, this is a lightheadedness. This is a foolishness that Klai Yisrael has stumbled in, that Klai Yisrael has been guilty of in other tkufas, in other periods of history also. Uh, one can think, for example, of the, the so-called golden age in Spain. The golden age of Spain, although it produced some, some great Chachamim, some great Talmudic Chachamim, Rambam, and Ramban, and Rashba, and so on. But on the whole, uh, it was a time of, of assimilation. It was a time when people were very enamored of non-Jewish philosophy, and they, they were very well integrated into non-Jewish Spanish society, and they were very enthusiastic about uh, Arab poetry, and they were not giving their, generally speaking, 
they were not giving their, their greatest tributes to HaKadosh Baruch We find also, we don't want to make the Svaradin feel bad, the Ashkenazim are guilty of it also. We find in the, the times of the emancipation and the enlightenment that uh, instead of using their newfound freedom to serve HaKadosh Baruch better, uh, what often was done is that people ran after after um, secular knowledge. It's one thing to run after it, to use it for the betterment of the Jewish nation and, and, to, and to understand the Torah better and to benefit people, but they ran after it for its own sake. They were giving their tributary gifts to um, medicine and science and, and so forth, and music and art and literature, and not to a Kodesh Baruch. These are all examples of, of, of what the, what Rav Hirsch sees in the words, Suryalodcha Teshi, when God forms you, when God gives you new freedoms and new powers and new, new health and abilities, what do you do? You give a gift to somebody else. You pledge your allegiance to someone else. Very beautiful. Of course, we can't say this is what Rashi means because Rashi didn't say that Teshi means you give a gift of tribute. You pledge allegiance to Rashi said, Teshi means you forget. Let's see the Nitziv. The Nitziv says, he says like Rashi that the word Nasha, that the word Teshi is like the word Nasha. He agrees with Rashi's diktuk, but he, as we'll see, he differs in the rest of the Pasuk. He says, Ubi'er HaKosuk, the Pasuk explains, gemul Hashem, after you forget the, the bestowal of goodness that Hashem gives you, Hashem who was Yaladcha, Hashem who gave birth to you, after you forget the goodness that he gave you, then you automatically, you come to the following meter, you come to the following behavior, you then forget Kel Now, He's saying that, that Teshi means forget, and of course, Tishkach means forget. So what do you mean after you do this, then you do that? Isn't it the same thing? Listen carefully. He says, Hashem is called Mechelelecha because he does with you good, he is good to you, in all of your actions. I think what's going on is whereas Rashi says Mechelelecha is essentially a past tense. Well, grammatically, it's, it's really a present, but Rashi interprets it essentially as past tense. He brought you out of the womb. Not doing that constantly. It means he formed you as a nation once upon a time. The Tziv is understanding that it's not only in, in diktuk, but in, but in meaning, it is a present tense, meaning it is something that is happening constantly. He says, Hashem is Ose Imcha Teva Becholpulasecha. Kodesh Borahu does good with you in all of your actions. Hashem is constantly bestowing good upon you. And therefore, we can read the Pasuk as follows Tsur Yaladcha, the Tsur who did give birth to you, who did form you as a nation once upon a time in the past, Teshi, you forget. You forget that he's the one who made you. And Mechaylaleka, the fact that he is continuing to bestow goodness upon you, the fact that constantly he is bestowing good things to you, tishkach, you forget. So again, 
we have now explained the Pusik so that the end is not merely repeating the beginning. But we have done that at the expense, quote unquote, of moving away from Rashi, because Rashi understood Mechaydoleka means he gave birth to you, just like Yeladcha means he gave birth to you. So although the, the Rav Hirsch's comments and the Ritziv's comments are very important comments, they are very important points to think about, but they're not Rashi. What is the Pshat in Rashi? I think perhaps we can say as follows. Although Rashi here gives a one-word a one word comment, Teshi Tishkach. Teshi means you forget. But I think really, he doesn't really mean to say that the word Teshi is absolutely synonymous with Tishkach. Why do I say that? Because in Parshish Vayishlach, where he first explained this, this word or this, this uh, root of Han Noshe, he didn't say that the word Noshe means forget. He said the word Noshe means Noshe mimakoymai ve'olah. It's when something jumps from its place, l'shoim kvitsa, when something jumps from its place and moves to another place, when something is dislocated. And he quotes the Pasuk in Yirmiya, Noshe segevura samba. We'll look at, the, look at the context there in Yirmiya, not saying they forgot their, their valor. It means they lost their valor, their strength left them. It, it, it's as if it jumped away from them and went somewhere else. It became dislocated from them. The word nasha, the, the root nasha, or the, in, its, in its form here, teshi, which Rashi understands to be a um, future tense uh, goof sheni, a, a second person future tense, you will forget. It means you will jump away from something. Now, Yes, in context, nobody's jumping. Nobody's doing jumping jacks over here in this Pasuk in, in, in Hazino. So Rashi says tishka, but it really means is you jump away from something. That's what teshi means. Tishkach means tishka. Tishkach in the second part of the Pasuk means you forget. What I think we can say the Pasuk is, is saying over here is that there are two types of moving away from a Kaddish Baruch. One way is called, is, is represented by the word teshi. It is a deliberate and violent, forceful moving away from a Kodesh Baruch There's another way that's called tishka. It's more of a slow slide and forgetting. We see this in, in history. For example, if you look at the history of 20, 20th century American Jewry, for the most part, we see a slow, maybe not so slow, but a sliding and forgetting of many, many of the traditions and many of the mitzvahs and the knowledge of Yiddishkeit, of Torah. It's not so much that people were philosophically rebelling against the Torah, but they were enamored of a, of a very uh, admirable culture in many ways. And a culture which, and a society, a civilization, with, which offered them the, the hope of, of uh, prosperity. And the earlier generations were more traditional, and the next, the next generation less, and the next generation less. And then there's intermarriage, which again was not done, generally speaking, to prove a point, but it was just a forgetting. That's Tishkach El Mechelelech. 
the other hand, if you look, for example, at uh, uh, in, in the pre-World War II, pre-Holocaust Europe, in the last uh, 150, 200 years, there were many people who were involved in the isms, in socialism, in communism, in secular Zionism, a real pure secular Zionism, where it is to replace the Torah. That's it. No more Torah. There's a new Jewish nation. We're going to live in Israel. And that's it. We'll be like every other nation. That is a deliberate jump away from HaKadosh Baruch Of course, these things are usually not absolute. The people who are jumping away are also forget, forgetting. And the people who are forgetting, they, they also are influenced by the jumping away. But it's two phenomena, both of which, if, if our interpretation is correct, both of which we are being warned about in this puzzle. We have to not jump away, not dislocate ourselves deliberately from Surya Ladcha, from Hashem who gave birth to us. We also must not allow ourselves to slowly slide away and forget Kel Mechaylaleka, the God who gave birth to us.